So we're continuing our series on times and seasons. And the title of my sermon this afternoon is Prospering in His Promises. And the core portion of scripture will be Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3, which we'll get to in a moment. But I want to start our time together this afternoon with a very simple question. And I'm sure we all will give the same answer, but I want us to pause before we give what I anticipate will be our answer. And that is, do you genuinely want to prosper in all that you do? The answer would be obvious and evident, yes. Well, praise God for that. But it's gonna come at a cost as we unpack these verses. We're gonna see it's not just made available to us in every opportunity of our lives, that we have to contribute if we want to live and prosper in all that God has for us. Because I find for our lives as Christians, I could invite anyone onto the platform and you can quote chapter and verse about the promises of God found in scripture. We know about them. We know the author of them. We know where they're located in scripture. We might even know the context or the audience for whom those promises were written. We might even have had a semblance of interaction with some of those promises in our lives. But do we actually live in them? Do we actually abide in them where they become a part of our hearts and lives? Or are they mere snapshots of what God did sometime in my life where he may have blessed me financially, where he may have rescued me in this moment, where he may have brought deliverance in that moment? Because if that's the case, then we are not living in prosperity. We're not living in his promises. We're living in moments of his promises. And I want to take us further on that journey today so that we live in his promises, that we abide in them, that we prosper in them in every part of our lives. So that's the singular goal of our time together, to discover the pathway that guarantees that we prosper in his promises. So let's read Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3 together. I'm reading the NIV translation. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Wow. I mean, if that isn't one of the biggest promises of scripture, right there, I don't know what is. Whatever they do prospers. Hmm. My first impression of this psalm is the contrast is so stark. If you were to reread that in your own time, you will see that ultimately we have been given two pathways. And interestingly, as we'll explore in a moment, as so often is true in scripture, the writer starts with what we shouldn't do, not what we should do. Which I think is a key indicator for us in our lives. There are natural default fleshly thinking is to approach it from this strategy, whereas actually God tells us we need to approach it from this strategy. So my question for you again this afternoon, do you want to prosper in all that God has for you? Because the pathway that you choose 
will dictate and determine whether or not you live in barrenness and emptiness or whether, you not, whether or not you live in full prosperity that God has available for you. By the way, there is no middle ground. You're on one of two pathways. And so I want us to go on this journey with a really open heart so that we know we can live the way God has called us to. The psalmist here has presented what I consider pretty evocative tapestry for how we can live our lives. There is nothing presented in these three verses that is negative for someone who lives a life surrendered to Christ. We live in a world that is abject, it's morally decaying, it's corrupted, it's fallen. And I think that that's a reflection of the things that we don't need to do in this portion of scripture. I find it very significant that what we are told not to do is how the world is currently living and where the world is currently going and how we are called to do is the pathway that God has for us. The contrast between how we can live our, live our lives and the current state of the world is mirrored by the two pathways in this psalm. So I'm gonna break this psalm down for us verse by verse. So we'll go through verse one and then verse two and then verse three. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed is the one. That's exactly the same word used by Jesus at the inception of his public ministry where he starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are. And that means that you're happy. It means that you're content. It means that you're fulfilled in who you are in Christ. And so the opening words are encouraging for us because we see that the word is best translated happy, but it goes beyond happiness that we think. It's not happiness if England win the Euro final tonight. That's a fleeting temporary moment of emotion. This is a happiness that is conditioned, grounded, rooted, anchored in who you are in Christ. So it's not predicated on what's happening around you, but it's what's happening within you. And I think that that's very important for us to consider. We reveal the true condition of our heart every time we're in challenging circumstances. So the psalmist gives three postures for the human body for our consideration, walking, standing, and sitting. My first question for you this afternoon, who are you walking with? Genuinely, who are you walking with? Bad company corrupts good character. So if I don't know you, show me your friends. I'll tell you who you are. I'll tell you who and what's important, the things that you're living for, the things that you're abandoning, the things that you're embracing, and it might not be obvious and evident to you, but it's what's happening in your life. Who are you standing with? Whatever our answers, they reflect where our trust, where our allegiance is, and where our confidence is found. And as I said, I find it fascinating. So often in scripture, we're instructed what not to do before we're then subsequently shown what to do. If we live by the standards of the world, if we take the counsel, the input, the direction from the world, do you know what you end up with? A worldly answer. That's very obvious and very basic, but that's the problem for us as Christians is we take counsel from people that we don't need to take counsel from. So for some of us, we need to explore who our friends are because there's gonna be people wanting to speak into your life each and every day and we allow them to and it creates tension in our lives 
Why? Because we're seeking godly wisdom from people that don't know God. <laughs> it's completely illogical. And yet we do it all the time. And so how do we obviate this? How do we negate the challenge that we find in this area? You know, your friends will always tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Identify the difference, friends, in your own lives, with your own friends. Your real people, your real friends, they will tell you what you need to do and what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And the challenge for us so often is we settle for mediocrity. We abandon God's word. We embrace the thinking of the world and it produces worldly answers. Because if we live by the standards of the world, friends, we are going to fall. We are going to fall. There is no doubt in that. The only question is when. And I don't want any of us to do that. The Bible declares in Proverbs 2 verse 6 that all knowledge, all wisdom, and all understanding comes from the mouth of Jesus. So why would we go to the world? You know why? We're disconnected from God. Or we don't like the answer that God gave us. Has anyone been guilty of that? Just me. Once or twice. You know when you ask God for something, you want some direction, you want some input, some wisdom, and he kind of tells you what you need to do, but it's not quite what you want. So you go find someone that will tell you what you want to hear. Right? Why? Because we settle. We compromise. We might not verbalize it, but it's what we're doing. So whose counsel are you depending on? Who do you go to when life is hard? When you lose your job? When a relationship breaks down? When the bills are due? Where do you turn? To whom do you turn? And before we're so quick, oh, Brother Scott, I go to the Lord every time. Take a moment. Reflect. Pause. Ask yourself that question again. Who do you truly go to? The answer is obvious. It should be Jesus. But more often than not, it's not to whom we go. Standing in the way that sinners take. Wow. So now he's moved on from a certain posture of walking. Now it's standing. Do not connect yourself with the behavior and the attitudes and the approaches of the world. Your circle of friends here will need reviewing for each and every one of us. If we want to live and prosper in the promises of God, we need to review our list of friends. Secure the friendships that last, ones that have commonality of goal, where the Jesus in you ministers to the Jesus in them. When they see the treasure and the gold and they see all that God has deposited in you and they want to help draw it out. They want to help you become the best disciple and best disciple maker that you can become. Not those that are looking to pull you down subtly and slowly but securely. Ones that will steal your joy. Ones that will rob you from fulfilling your plan and purpose. They are not your friends. And we need to make some very clear very firm decisions in our lives. Sit in the company of mockers. Those that speak against our God, I'll keep it simple. You have no association with them. And if you don't stand up for anything, you'll, if you don't stand up for someone, you'll fall for anything. There's going to come a time, friends, where there's no choice left for us. We are going to have to fight that good fight of faith and stand up for who 
and what we believe in. Can I encourage you? Make a start today. The earlier you start, the easier it will be because you will become more robust, more strong, more steadfast in your love for God, in your conviction, in your confidence in God's word, in your ability not just to quote scripture but to live it out. And then you're becoming an effective leader. And then you start to prosper and become successful in all that God has for you. If you want a godly outcome, you need godly input and godly wisdom. It's as simple as that. Do not dismiss or dismantle the friendships that you possess with those who aren't in the faith, but give them an order of priority. We need to consider that in our lives because I think some of us, when I was preparing for this message, I believe some of us in the room are struggling in this area, that we're going to the wrong people. We're going to the quick fixes. We're going to the people that will tell us what we want to hear because it's just easier. You know, life as a Christian is never, Jesus never promises that your life will be easy, but he does promise it will be worth it. And usually the higher the cost, the higher the sacrifice. Not always, but invariably, that's true. Verse two, but those who delight in the law of the Lord meditate on his law day and night. Wow. That's like two times a day. Day and night. That's like all day, every day. Delight. You know, that word delight, it stretches beyond the border of momentary, fleeting expressions of, of fun, joy, happiness. A delight, it's where it starts to become part of your nature, part of your character. It starts to refine you and shape you in a way that the world can't describe. And so you ask yourself this, do you adore being in God's presence? Do you find it a chore? Is it something you're just instructed to do by mom or dad? Or something you feel obligated to do out of some sort of morbid sense of duty in your Christian walk and faith? Do you adore being in his presence? Can I remind you that being in his presence there is fullness of joy. And we as believers need to get to a point in our own Christian journey, irrespective of anyone else, where we actually delight to be in God's presence. It's easy. There's no stresses, there's no strains, there's no shopping list of demands and requests, there's no fear because of the sin you committed this week that he won't accept you. You actually delight to be in his presence. For those of you that are married or in relationships, think about the first date, maybe the second or the third date. You delighted being with that person. Everything was fun and free and young and everything was just wonderful. And then you got married. And then it takes a little bit more effort, takes a little bit more conviction to hold fast to what started out in your journey together. But here's the reality. If we don't delight in spending time with God, you're not going to spend any time with him. And then how on earth do we expect to prosper in his promises when we are perpetually absent from his presence in our lives? Reminds me of Psalm 37 verse 4. Words we all know well. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The onus is on us. The responsibility sits with us to delight ourselves in him where we have a healthy, ongoing relationship with Jesus that is producing fruit and faithfulness where we are contributing. We are active participants and 
significant contributors to this relationship because we want it to be firm, we want it to be strong, we want it to be healthy. And in doing that, we start to pro prosper in his promises. It's in that moment, and only that moment, that we start to pursue the law of the Lord. Which leads me to my next question. When did you last genuinely open God's word with deep expectation and anticipation in your life? Take a moment, think. I did some research on it. More than 50% of pastors in North America only open their Bible to prepare a sermon. If that's true, and there's no reason to challenge the veracity of it, how much lower is that percentage amongst regular believers? You know, we become overly familiar with Scripture, and I think that can dent our enthusiasm, that can dull our expectation for God to do something new, because we've, quote, heard it all before. Has that relinquished God's power in our lives simply because we know the Bible a little bit more than we did a year ago? Nope. John 3.16 is as powerful today as it was when you first heard it. It does not diminish the number of times we hear it. It's still that powerful. What does diminish is our appetite to engage with God's word. Because we think we know it all. And therefore we don't delight in it. Therefore we don't meditate on God's word. And you know when you meditate on something, it's more than giving it a cursory glance on a Sunday morning when you read the email that comes out about what the services are. When you meditate on it, you're abiding, you're dwelling, you're chewing the word of God. You're reading it. You're reading commentaries, interpretations, target audience, who was he speaking to, what was the context, what's the culture, everything. You want to know, you steep yourself in this word. It's the only way I can describe it. And it's joyful for you because you're getting gold, you're getting spiritual wisdom, you're getting insights, you're hearing God's heart for your life. Or do you just expect what happens on this platform to be sufficient in feeding you day by day, week by week? No, we need more than that. However, I'm sure we can all testify to seasons in our lives where we don't have that appetite to get into God's word. Our mind wanders. Our attention span wanes. Our focus evaporates. Perhaps that's the season that you find yourself in today. Seemingly distant and detached from God's word and his presence. That can happen far easier than we think. Which means we need to restore and revive our own hearts to falling in love with Jesus again. To getting into his word where we start to capture his heart and his nature for our own lives. Because it's in that moment that your perspective starts to change. Your expectations and your motive starts to enhance. All those things will point you in the direction of the one who already delights in you. Wow! The creator of heaven and earth delights in you. That's not a, a statement. I'm not giving that up to you for consideration. That's not going to be audited by anyone in this room. That's a fact. He delights in you. And some of you don't believe me because you've never experienced delighting in him. Wow. We need to tap into that reality. These are the promises. This is how we prosper. As you meditate, 
Do you know what happens? You start to shift the spiritual atmosphere in your life. You move from mundane drudgery in your Christian journey to delight and expectation. Every time you open the word of God, he's going to speak to you. You know, you can't talk about a silent God while your Bible's closed. You know that, right? It doesn't work. And he's always talking. We're just not listening. Or we have selective hearing. Our choice. It's in that moment when we start to shift the spiritual atmosphere that we're currently residing in that we start to delight in meditating on his word. That brings breakthrough, deliverance, victory, and freedom. So when did you last meditate on God's word? Because there is an intentional, consistent communication in that moment. It requires sacrifice, ongoing willingness to be molded and refined. And that produces great, significant, lasting spiritual outcomes. This principle here is deeply reflecting on our ability to actually ponder on God's word. Hebrews 4 verse 12 declares, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Wow. I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. Amen. I want to be able to meditate on God's word day and night and hear from him what he's speaking to me about. Recognizing, friends, that by the way, he's going to speak to each and every one of us very, very differently. For some of us, it might be digging into Hebrews. For some of us, it might be Psalms. It might be Romans for the guys over here. I don't know. But what I do know is guaranteed he will speak to you. The question is, do we want to pay the cost attached to meditating on his word day and night? Or do we go for a cheap, easy fix? What's Hillsong got on today? I'll watch that. Okay. Put a plaster over a wound. And you're going to need another plaster next week. And a one after that. And a one after that. Where do we get to the point, friends, in our Christian walk where we are actually prospering in his promises? We are living the dream, so to speak. We don't talk about the dream. We are living it. Where we are those living vessels that bring glory and honor to God in every part of our lives. Where following someone up to join a cell group isn't hard work because my cell leader told me and I got to do it. Or it's the vision of the house. No, it's what you would do if nobody told you to do it. Bringing someone to church isn't time-consuming and clumsy and difficult and awkward. You want every single one of your friends in your cell phone to know the Lord Jesus Christ intimately and personally. And you are going to take personal responsibility for it. That's when we start to delight. When we start to stir ourselves up in the things of God, meditating on his word, not taking the counsel of the people of this world, not walking in the ways that don't bring God honor and glory. That's where we start to pro prosper in his promises. So I ask the question again, do you want to prosper in all that God has for you? Because there's a cost attached to it. And the greater the level of prosperity, the greater the cost. And you know the best part, God gave us free will, so we get to decide how prosperous we intend to be, by how committed we are, by how convicted we are in that journey with him. Verse three, the promise. This is the bit we all want, Scott. That person, which person? The person that has honored the first two verses. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither whatever they do 
prospers. Now we've got a little bit more of an understanding and a visibility of how we can prosper in our journey with Jesus together. That's how that person is still called blessed. So do we want to prosper? Because there's some godly principles for our consideration that require not just our attention, but our implementation in our lives. Do you know when you are planted by streams of living water and you start to bear fruit, everything in your life is healthy. Everything. Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. Everything is flourishing. You never see a tree that is kind of like half of it's alive and half of it's dying. It's either flourishing or it's dying. There's no middle ground. Which tree do you want to be? I want to be like that tree. Even if I'm alone. Because that's flourishing, that's growing, that's fulfilling its purpose. But your commitment and conviction to God's will and his word will produce life, health and progress. Even in the most barren of seasons. You know why? Because the challenges of the world don't impact your life when you're in God's word. When you're fulfilling his will, you might go through dry seasons, it might not all be hunky-dory, it might not all be working out for you, but the consequences and the impact of that dry season do not impact your life because you're still drinking from the streams of living water. God's word is still absorbing every part of your heart and life and therefore you can flourish. Where seemingly nothing else is, there you are. So what do you look at when you look at this image? You only look at the tree, nothing else. So what are the learning outcomes for us this afternoon, briefly? A truly blessed person individually prospers in all that they do because they ensure that God is involved in everything and God has gone before them. You never fail when you follow God correctly. God will never lead you into any failures. He wants you to experience wholesome and abundant life. And if you want success, as given by only God, you must give up your own way and give him permission and authority to govern your steps. Total surrender to God. That way and that way alone is the only way that you will walk in his favor, be successful and prosper in his promises. But for that, we need complete and total obedience because it's God's obedience, our obedience to God that brings that blessing in our lives. Unequivocally walking in God's promises guarantees an abundant life with God. So, what are our concluding thoughts this afternoon? Jesus did not come to show us what God can do. He came to show us what one person could do who was rightly related to God. Our obedience is not measured by our ability to obey the laws and principles outlined in scripture. Our obedience is measured by our response to God's voice. So I can stand here and preach to you and share God's word with you, but you and you alone will define and dictate whether you choose to be obedient. Think about the season that you find yourself in now, friends. If you want to prosper, if you want to be successful, your life will be measured not by its duration, but by its direction. Not by its parties, but by its purposes. Not by what is amassed, but by what is distributed. Not by the embracing of things, but by the embracing of one thing, one person, Jesus Christ, and to love him supremely and make him known by all. 
So my final verses for us this afternoon is Isaiah 58, verse 11, which give a similar tapestry and evocative, picturesque thoughts. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You know, you never take a wrong step when the Lord is directing your thoughts and your words. The Holy Spirit is our great helper. We have to allow him to help us because ultimately it is he and he alone that knows how to direct our thoughts. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to flourish. You're going to be successful in every area of your life like a watered garden. You're going to be refreshed by him and his word. And in his presence, there is that fullness of joy. And a healthy plant grows when it's watered, which means we need to find ourselves watered by God's word each and every day. God's promises over your lives will never fail. In Isaiah, the word declares very clearly that whose waters do not fail, God will never fail you. God will never let you down. World, man, things, money, all will fail and fall to you, 100%. Some individually, some repetitively, some occasionally. But God and his word will never fail you. The question is, are we prepared to pay the price this afternoon to prosper in his promises? Because it's only at that point that we get that greater anointing in our own lives. But we cannot get a greater anointing without encountering the one who is anointed. Anointed. 